Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. It's my tradition to always bless God before I speak because it's His, it is His honor and His praise that the words come forth and from. So Adonai, I bless you, and I'm so thankful for your cult of many colors. I thank you for your gathering your children from the diaspora, from the lost sheep of the house of Israel, as well as those from every tribe, every language, all nations. Amen. All right. So we begin. Our, t- our text is coming from Matthew chapter 11, verse 23 to 25. The message is called, Follow Me, the Call of the Disciple. And so I'm going to be reading, and here we go. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to heaven? No, you will go down to Sheol. For if the miracles done in you had been done in Sodom, It would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I tell you that it will be more bearable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. And at that time, I'm totally reading the wrong verse. That's interesting. All right, let's start again. Two to five. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace who call to one another saying, We played the flute for you, but you did not dance. We wailed, but you didn't mourn. For your or John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say, He has a demon. And the son of man, he came both eating and drinking. They say, look, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Then Yeshua began to denounce the towns where most of his miracles had happened because they did not turn from their sins. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethesda. For if the miracles done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have turned long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And now let me repeat what I read earlier. And you, Capernaum, Will you be lifted up to heaven? No. You will go down to Sheol. For if the miracles done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I tell you that it will be more bearable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. One of the concepts that we're going to be looking at today is that times when God does a woe or speaks a judgment over a people, in the midst of that woe, in the midst of that word, that sharp sharp sword piercing through, there's compassion. There's mercy. 
We live in a time, and specifically in this nation, when in a, the nationally and governmentally, it seems as our nation is rejecting the things of God. It seems like we've entered into a time of trouble and of judgment. So I want to compare and contrast a few things for you. So I'm going to go to a text in 1 John. And it's 1 John 5 and 19. The only slides I have up are the ones from Matthew. And I'll be reading directly. So if you want to go for yourself like old school, because that's basically how I am. It's 1 John 5, 19. This is the Amplified Bible. I chose it very specifically. It says, we know... And then in brackets, for a fact that we are of God. And the whole world, brackets, around us lies in the power of the evil one, which is opposing God and his precepts. Interestingly enough, in the first century, even though there were many different schools of Jewish thought and theology, many different Essenes, the Sadducees, Pharisees, and they have multiple different types of, they have different groups. They have Hillel, Shammai, they have other offshoots. They have the Hellenists, the Herodians. But Yeshua called it a wicked and adulterous generation. And again, from 2 Corinthians verse 4, chapter 4, verse 3 to 4. And this is in the NASB. It says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they will not see the light of the gospel of the glory of the Mashiach, who is the image of God. In both passages, you notice that it's not just the rebellious nature of the people and the hardness of the heart of the people. But there's actually this prince, there's this wicked ruler that has a lot of power in the minds of those who are perishing. It says they blinded them. And it says the whole world lays in wickedness. I'd like you to consider something. In, Matt, in both Matthews chapter 24, 37 through 39, and Luke 17, 26 to 30, it talks about the coming of the Son of Man, and he compares it to the days of Noah or Noach. And for our little look today, we're not going to primarily look on the second coming of Messiah as much as looking at what leads up to it. The things that are going to be happening before the coming of the Lord. Or, if you were to go by the context of what I just read from Matthew, before judgment or in the midst of judgment. So I'm gonna, in Genesis chapter 6, I'm gonna do just a big, this big comparison between the days, the, the, um, what humans were like and what God's portrayal of Noah is. So I'm not gonna actually read the scriptures, but I have a little list set up here. And it says, and, and this is the thing that's interesting. It says, the sons of God, and I put in folly or in sin, they transgress with the daughters of men. This is the Noah's list. This is the, this is the things that men were doing at that time period. 
And God began to shorten men's days to 120 years. That's two. And there were Nephilim or mighty men on the earth. And, 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 and this is the one that really sticks with me. This is verse 5. And I did. This is 6 and 5 of Genesis. Then Adonai saw that the wickedness of mankind was great on the earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. So Adonai gives a judgment on mankind. On livestock. On crawling things. On the flying creatures of the sky. Because he regretted that he made them. Of a truth, though man was made in the image of the mighty and everlasting God, that image was marred. Not just the image of man was marred, but even all flesh had corrupted itself, it said. Have you read the headlines today? See, when... There's a lot of talk about the coming of Messiah, but we can't strip it from the context of the things that are going to come upon the world when that happens. As it was in the days of Noah, people were going after strange flesh. Today, people are actually changing their genders, even children's. Murdering. Babies in the womb, and when they're freshly out, then using the victim's parts for product. Whoa. I say, whoa. Whoa unto this generation. It's a wicked and an adulterous generation. But I want you to see something. As we move forward, let's look at what the Lord says about Noah. Noah, it says, found favor in the Lord's eyes. Noah received and is empowered and is given a commission and instructions to build an ark. Adonai makes covenant with Noah. For Noah's wife and sons and their wives, they are going to be able to come into the ark. And all of every living things of all flesh, both male and female, shall enter the ark of the clean seven pairs and of the unclean too. But just imagine that. And also that he was supposed to take for themselves every kind of edible food and gather it, and gather it in for food. And finally, this is the testimony. It said, Noah did according to all that God commanded him. And he did so exactly. You might have a hard time trying to figure out what does this have to do with discipleship. We'll get there. We'll get there. And so, I'm going to read, I'm going to go to 2 Peter chapter 2 and 5. If you have it or you have a phone, you can go there. It says, if he, and it's he, and I put in brackets since I cut into a, a thought. God did not spare the ancient world, but saved or preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, one of eight, having brought the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So in the context of Noah, Shimon or Kephah, Peter knew that, that there was something that Noah was doing in the midst of his commission to build an ark. Could you imagine that in the midst of building it, it's not complete. 
that he is preaching to them. I would call it like the gospel of Noah. He's pointing to a judgment to come. And he's pointing to the fact that he's building a boat that God said to build. That anyone who would believe and repent can come in. In the midst of judgment, in the midst of great wickedness, God, it pleased the Lord by the foolishness of preaching. Do you know how foolish it must have looked when the whole world was lying in wickedness and this old man is preaching and his little family is building a boat? This has a lot of application for us. But I see a big different attitude than the one Noah had. Looks like some of us want to just go and kill some of these people. Do you know what spirit you're of? You sons of thunder. See, the whole world was under a yoke of the flesh. The yoke of the pride of life. The yoke of the world. But whose yoke are you under? If you're under someone's yoke, do you have a right to decide how you're going to respond to a circumstance? Hmm. Think about what I'm saying. Do you hate the people? Then you must agree with some of the um, anti-Semitic church history that the Lord hated the Jews. Even though he was the king of the Jews, which is very strange. They must have forgot when he wept over Jerusalem. They must have forgot on the stake when he said, forgive them, Father, for he know not what they do. I'll move on to Deuteronomy 32, 3 through 4. For I will proclaim Adonai's name and ascribe greatness to our God. The rock blamelesses his work. Indeed, all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness without iniquity. Righteous and upright is he. He was rejoicing in the way of the Lord. You'll see that. He was rejoicing. I'm going to read slide six and seven. Or Matthew chapter 11. If I got you don't know the numbers. Uh, still learning that. 25 to 27. It says, at that time, Yeshua said in response, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you hid these things from the wise and the discerning and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was pleasing to you. All things have been handed over to me by my father, but no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except his son and to anyone and to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Hmm. The interesting thing about Noah's gospel is that God drew all these animals. He drew them. He drew them. If you pay attention closely, all the living were brought into the ark and anything that was outside of the ark perished. 
And when Messiah says, all things have been delivered unto me of my father, I, I want you to understand this very clearly. It means all things. Literally. He just pronounced judgment. And right after he pronounced judgment, he begins to rejoice. Because there is a remnant. And you might not see it, but I tell you when that, that big door swung closed in the ark, there was a rejoicing, not over the judgment that happened upon the people, but on the mercy and the grace of God to redeem. If you look even closer, you might consider that this Noah's gospel is that this one, through one man, the whole world would be repopulated. Every one of us is related to him here. Interesting side story. I knew somebody, I know somebody who is, who fell away from the Messiah and in the midst of falling away and watching all the anti-missionary films, he was discussing to me and he came to me with this thought. I guess he had heard from one of the rabbis that this was not, um, that the gospel was in Jewish. That it was in, it was an impossible, that it was, it was a barbarian, a monstrosity to believe that God would judge the whole world. He said, when would that ever happen in the Jewish thought that in the whole world, God would judge somebody solely because they don't believe one man. And I looked at him, I said, Noah. And he got quiet. There's an exclusivity to this. If you didn't go in, you perished. You perished. Hmm. All things. All things. But why? Who is Noah? Who is Yeshua to you? Is Yeshua someone you believe in on every Shabbat? Or on Sunday, if you worship on Sunday? Who is he? To whom are you liking him unto? It's amazing. There's lots of people that even in the Messianic movement, they'll say, well, he's, his teachings are like this sage. I know in the time of, in the time of Noah, if you heard a teaching outside of what Noah was teaching, you died in your sins if you didn't listen to Noah. You died. You're gone. Is it any different today? There be some crossover. Who taught Moses? The reason that Moses is exalted because his teaching was direct revelation from God. And if you pay closely attention to the one who I'm talking about, he done one better. He came down. He came down. Everything he heard, he heard from the Father. Isaiah 9 and 7 says this, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness for that time and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord's host will accomplish this. So this means one thing. This is about the Mashiach. This is about the conquering king. This is about the everlasting covenant that, that the son of God is going to be called. The son of David is going to be called the son of God. But it says the government, the rule 
is going to be upon his shoulder. All things. How much rule and authority does the one's teachings in his life have in your life? Hmm. Why is... Let's establish this. We're going to look at something. He has a divine right of rule, not like the European kings. The blue bloods, not them. No. No. There's a difference between one rabbi who is exalted and they say, Rabbi Gamaliel, and he goes up after he dies, but he's in the ground. But I'm talking about a son of man. When he exalted, he was lifted up by the angels and you can see it in the gospel. He's a son of man. He, he goes up in the air. Read Daniel. He's literally lifted up and sit at the right hand of God. Who are you likening to? By whose teachings are you sitting under right now? And do you do them or do you think about them? Like, like it's the philosophy. That's what happened to this Western world and their walk with God. But there's grace. I want to talk to you about this. He has a divine right to rule because of this. Abraham. Abraham was given a promise by God. And when Abraham was, he had split the bodies. He was making covenant with God. And there was this blood. And it was, he had this, the animals split in blood. And Abraham is swinging and fighting away to keep the buzzards of the air from pecking at. Then something happens. The Lord has to lay him to sleep. And he puts him down. And then you got this burning oven and a smoking torch and it goes back forth like this in between the body parts. That which is given and that which is accepted. It's, it's burning right in between. The problem with near, near Eastern ancient, um, covenants is that there's supposed to be actually two people. The one you made to, the two people you made the covenant need to be in between the body parts. And Abraham wasn't in between the body parts. That covenant was between a man and God. What rabbis can qualify to be in between that body? Other than the first century one by the name of Messiah Yeshua. It needs to be both man and both God in between that body. He upholds all things. In between. He is the only one that can. You can't be the Messiah if you can't fulfill the Adamic covenant. You can't be the Messiah if you can't fulfill the Noahic covenant. You can't be the Messiah if you don't fill the Abrahamic covenant. You can't be the Messiah if you don't fulfill the Mosaic covenant. You can't be the Messiah if you don't fulfill the Davidic covenant. He upholds all things. Hmm. Interesting. Not only does he uphold all things, let's go back. Let's go back. We're going back to the body parts now. We're going back and we're seeing the burning and you see this Messiah Yeshua. He is both God and man. He has the ability to do what no one else can do. He is both the seed of Abraham and of David. But also 
if the conditions are broken, one of the people in between the body parts must be as those bodies, they must be killed. He not only upholds all things, he restores all things. This Messiah restores all things. Look at it. Isaiah 49 and 6. For is it, for it is written, it is too, is it too small a thing that you should be a servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel? I will make you a light of the nations or goyim so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And again, it is written, Isaiah 49, 8b, I will keep, I will keep you and give you for a covenant to the people to restore the land, to make them inherit the desolate heritages. Who's going to restore Israel? The Messiah. Who's going to restore and gather a remnant from all the nations? If God could draw of all different creatures, spiders and snakes and all kind of things that come in there. Can he not draw a people from all nations? If he can draw them and they obey him, my beloved brothers and sisters, do you? Do you obey God? This Messiah is both divine and unequaled. The reason why the discipleship is so poor is because we don't have the right view of the one we follow. We equate him too many with much lesser things and people. We knock him down a whole bunch while the whole time all the scriptures are testifying to exalt him. It's completely needing to be flipped on its head. Oh, cool. I'm doing good today. Wow. Shocking. All right. So what is those implications? What does that mean for you? We're getting to the main text about a yoke. See, the Messiah is calling you unto himself. He is. He's calling you unto himself. Hmm. All right, I'm going to read Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Something I failed to mention in the passage above that it says no one knows the Father but the Son. So is there any other way on the face of the earth and any other teachers can lead you to know God outside of the Son and his teachings? I don't think so. Not according to the one who spoke it. He said, no one knows the father. Yeshua says, you've never seen, heard his voice or seen him at any time. Speaking to the greatest leaders in his time. Never heard God speak to you once. In the midst of judgment, God is drawing people to himself. Are you weary? I know for certain I'm in a room with people who are wearing other yokes. You are. You're walking around bearing things you ought not to be bearing. Some of you can never get over that traumatic experience or that rejection. Or perhaps you're burdened down with the weight of your transgressions and your sins. And all of your greatest efforts have not been successful. And they will not be if you're not going to him. Beloved, the same Messiah that says you're judged. is the same Messiah who rejoices because God revealed them unto babes. And that's why they were judged. And that's why those who were in the great exalted people couldn't receive them because they would have to become as little children. They would have to come and take what they believe and sit it on the ground. You have to come and take whatever you think about yourself when you prepare as a young bullock. You can come in there strutting, but when you're getting ready to get put to the yoke, you don't know how to plow that field. Do you think we can lead anyone to come to the faith without him? Who is the faith? Who is the faith pointing to? Uh-oh, I almost lost the kipper. It's pretty funny. I don't think that's the first. That must have happened at least once. What I'm talking to you about. Are you going to answer that call? Well, I've came to him already. He set me free from my sins and my burdens. Yes, praise God. But there's some of you sitting here, you're shackled. You know the first sermon he preached, he was describing his mission is to, to deliver people from bondage and afflictions. The yoke of that other master that you saw in the days of Noah is still the yoke that is binding and, and breaking down people today. Or do you still talk about all the times you were hurt by that so-and-so? That's a yoke. You ought to be set free. I'm speaking to someone here who the Lord has been, he's been hovering around it, but you won't humble yourselves and let him set you free. Are you, are you seeking approval of anyone other than the one who purchased it with his blood? When you get purchased and you someone else's property, 
you worry about what they say about you. Though everyone condemns you and laughs at you like you're Noah. Look at that old fool. He obeys his master and he rejoices. Let's look at something. The whole concept of this yoke is an older ox and a younger ox. The younger ox has no idea how to do what the older ox is doing. One of the reasons that the body of Messiah is in the condition it is, is because we are not following his methods of doing the things he says to do. So we have to use our own crafty methods to try to do the work of redemption. So when you read the Bible, the things you see happening in it, you barely see it happening in your life. Because you're trying other ways to do the will of God. But I say, this God receives the humble. And if you take this yoke upon him, on yourself, and you come and learn from him. That little ox isn't even bearing any of the weight. Don't, don't you see all things have been delivered unto them? Don't you see that he, that, that he says, when he says all thing, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. And he was like, it is finished. Don't you see if we read the end of the book, we see the restoration of all things. Don't you see that he has already finished the work and in the process of going, his ongoing work, he's mediating a covenant. He's already established it. But how we have to release our own ways and submit ourselves to the loving and the gentle hand of the Messiah. He's gentle. You know why he's gentle? Because you don't got it. Who can you redeem by your blood? No, we can't, but who does? He's gentle because he looked all beyond these big scholars and he saw these, he the harlot and he saw the, the, the tax collector. And he says that, you know, that these people enter in before some of the others. He has it. And this is the only thing, because in the beginning, when the yoke is put on you, you're going to be fighting against it because you want your own way. But I tell you, brothers and sisters, unless you forsake all that you have. See, when it says all things have been delivered unto me, you know that includes you? Notice we read earlier about... The nations and Israel. He's the king of Israel. Everything in Israel is his. But it says, ask of me and I give you the nations for an inheritance. Is that Psalm chapter 2? Hmm. So what does that mean about the nations? Who do they belong to? Hmm. I'm trying to make a point to you because we, we at times we're scattered in the way we look at things. There's a simplistic message that you see in the mouths of the apostles. And then we get that message and we want to filter it through all these, these last thousand years of all these different thoughts. And we overcomplicate it because we don't want to obey the master. We don't want to do what he says. So you can make him, you can, you can, you can label him and make him look like this. 
You can make him and, and go charismania. You can make him and go uh, reform. You can make him any different form of, section, uh, of sect of Jews. You can do all these things. And there are some of the contexts that fit perfectly and they testify of the things he says. But that is not equivalent to yielding yourself to the one who has divine right to rule over you. So, I believe the body of Messiah and those in here who knew not God, because I won't, I'm not confused that everyone here knows God. It's not true. There are lost people standing, sitting right here who will perish in their sins. And there's no amount of, you could, you could have faked it. You could have laughed. You could have said, I know God. But when that door, boom, you were like, wait a minute. I thought I knew God. Oh, no, you were eating and drinking. You were giving into marriage. But you didn't know that God. But I point to you that this Messiah, he says, I'm humble. He's not going to drive you too hard. You see, the people were weary In their own ways. Do you know that's what he's been doing with us? What he's been doing with this congregation and us. He's trying to get us weary. To the point to where we recognize. God's not moving in the capacity that he can. Why isn't he moving? Are we just going to show up every week. Doing the same thing. Unless we go after him. Why did Peter jump out into the water. And swim towards him when he saw him. Because where else could he go? He had the words of life. I'm calling you to turn away from those other places you go. And turn back. And put a yoke on your neck. And let your master slowly teach you of himself. I was going to read something that comes from um, the Mishnah, uh, Barakot um, 2.2. I think I actually have time to read it. And then we'll, we'll close up. And this is a conversation between two rabbis. It says, why do we say the first part of the Shema before the second part of the Shema? And he said, the answer is if they should receive the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. And only after that receive the yoke of the commandments. What I'm saying to you, you can never and will never be able to serve God in a, in a way that pleases him. Unless you first take the yoke of his son and draw near to him. Uh-oh, finally fell off. I think I'm just sitting here. And then, like it says in John, those, these are those who love me, that those who keep my commands. You know, that's the second yoke is obedience. It's fascinating in the last days. You're a legalist because you obey the Messiah. No. I thought Noah obeyed exactly what God said to do. If the apostles didn't go to Judea, um, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the other parts of the world, where will we be sitting at? 
I thought Messiah said, these are those who love me. They keep my commandments. Now, there are some people here who got a loophole. They go, oh, he just means the Torah. He just means you're just going to obey the... I'll say, uh, what's one thing about having an actual master? The national laws don't, don't have jurisdiction over... He, he's not going to teach you to do anything outside of the confines of the law. But if guarantee you, he's speaking to you directly as his direct servant to perform his will for you. That doesn't line up when you look at Shaul and Damascus Road, does it? What if Shaul says, I'll just keep the commandments. Now, how is he going to go and suffer great things for his name's sake? Would have never happened. They're dying in their sins out there. This yoke is not just for you to get delivered from your weariness. This yoke is that you might enter into the work of redemption that he's doing outside there. Don't you see? That's where the rejoicing comes in. I'm not just talking about you You submit to him first and then you go and do his works. The world needs to be hearing his word, seeing good deeds. And don't, and don't talk about legalism. I, w- I would like, if anyone wants to come talk to me, prepare to go to the Brit Hadashah, and I'm going to go over and over and over and over again until you hear Paul, Shaul, and Peter talk about, we, be, be careful to perform good deeds. Be careful to do this. Be careful to do this. Make them be, be good of good works and good deeds. Over and over and over again. And we're talking about, oh, that's legalism. Whose yoke are you wearing? I tell you in these days, They've turned the grace of God as a means to please our own selves. But that is not a gospel at all. The gospel I'm talking about is people whose hearts have been gripped by the compassion of God. I am guilty. I should be judged. I have been redeemed. I yoke myself to my redeemer. I serve his purposes. I don't boast against the wicked. I I grieve for their future destruction if they are not saved. I don't plan a small army to go kill them. I get on my face. Daniel can pray and be a light in the midst of Nebuchadnezzar. Is there anyone here who wants his yoke? So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For though All those cities saw his works, yet they did not believe. And if any of us have received the very administration of God from the inside out, Oh, how could we take that very gift and the mercy and the grace and the love of God and take it and go behind somewhere and go scoop it under there and slide it and put it under there and said, I am storing up those treasures. All right, I had to put a timer because I take a long time. I still got like four minutes, I think. How can that happen?
It's not a message of condemnation, my brothers and sisters. This is a, this is a call to move into living reality. If you don't follow what he says and what he does, you're not his disciple. It's just as clear as crystal. And, and I remember when I was at Denton Freedom House and they came up to me and these young men were like, man, uh, brother Earl, tell me something. Do, do I actually have, have to be a disciple? Or is Christians a disciple? And then I told, I let them understand that in the, in the bread hottest shah, that the word Christian is used scarcely. And I took them and, and showed them how disciple is used almost exclusively in Kedoshim, which is Holy One, which scares the daylights out of this generation. Anytime the word messianic or when Peter says, if you do well, if you suffer as a Christian, that word is always referring to a disciple. Every single time. Every last one. We're not talking about sinless and perfect perfection from those who follow him. We're talking about true sincerity of heart. He says to babes, I'm offering to you as if you're a babe. If you're a babe or a little one, who makes a babe, who treats a babe like they're a grown man? He comes in, it's gentle. You're just learning. But you can't stay on the fence. Do you know there are going to be many who come on to him and say, Lord, Lord. And he's going to turn from you and say, I don't know you. Depart from me who you work lawlessness. But there are many weak and, and even despised people who are going to come in. And they're going to be welcomed into the kingdom of God. Could we please rise? And I don't know if the music team is supposed to come up. And I'm going to pray. Father God, I pray that all things, that we would submit to this text, that everything has been delivered unto you. That you are so much bigger than anyone else. Your son is perfect in all his ways. In him is fullness. Oh, how could you unharden our opposition to your mercy? And your pleas. Father, if you drew the animals, Lord, will you not draw the little ones? Could you draw us into your redemptive work, not just unto yourself, but unto plowing in the fields? Father, will you send out us to some land? Will you send out sowers? Will you send out those who, the, the watering, Lord, because you do the increase. Will you, will you send out those that reap? Lord, there's an island over there in India where a young, I think, Chinese uh, missionary went to go and he got speared through like maybe a year or so ago. And I was listening to all the people, even here, oh, he probably shouldn't have did that. And I was sitting there and it grieved my heart, sitting on an easy chair. Send somebody to those people, Lord, because they know not God. They're one of those tribes. So the fullness of the Gentiles, they have no person of their own people who have ever heard the gospel. And if they, someone tries to do it, they die. Send laborers. 
Father, could you quicken us and give us your heart for your people, Israel, so we won't, we won't love Jewish things, but we won't sacrifice to see them come to faith. Lord, if it costs you everything, and then your disciple, Shaul, it cost him everything. Shimon Kepha, well, he suffered it, everything. Why do we think it won't cost us that, Lord? Oh, Father, please give us compassionate and merciful hearts. Please fill our hearts with your love, with your grace. Father, let us have a community that makes disciples. But it can't happen, Lord, if we're not willing to submit ourselves to your son. Father, will you take the chains that are holding us back from submitting ourselves to him and break them? Would you take that sharpness or that sternness that is not your sternness, but our fleshly sternness and smash it, Lord? Would you take the zeal that we have according to the flesh, or that's not knowledge, would take the zeal of God that consumes us? Oh, God. Thank you, Father. Father, I know that you hear the prayers of your children. And if the Lord has spoken to someone in here, I pray that you said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, wherever I am. As a housewife, yes, Lord, I submit to your demands, Lord. I'll get on my face and pray. Oh, Lord, I can barely walk, but I can pray, Lord. I'll set apart time. Give me someone, Lord. Give, grip my heart with what grips your heart. Father, if there's some sitting here who've been resisting Oh, Lord, go in. Go in. Lord, if you stretch out your hand, who can annul it? That's the word of God. Stretch forth your hand towards them and draw them into a holy boldness. And if you are overtaken with your sins and you're bound, the Lord of peace will deliver you right now. Just go to him. Oh, go through with him. Believe. He will rip that burden off your back. Because he stood in between the wrath of God. For you and me. Amen.